Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hello, Las Vegas. Happy Friday, everyone. Big show today. Eric Metaxas coming on. Join us at the bottom of the hour to talk about his new book, If You Can Keep It, and introduce his show, which we're going to start airing tomorrow afternoon, Saturdays at 5 p.m. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXLLP, 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio, coming to you live from Studio B at Liberty Baptist Church. We're located on Rainbow and Lake Mead Boulevard. If you'd like to join us for church on Sunday, our services are at 9.30 and 11.15. This Sunday is especially fun. We have Camp Liberty for the kiddos all summer long. This Sunday is Wet and Wild Sunday, so be sure to uh, be prepared to get wet and have some fun if your kids are coming to Camp Liberty. If you weren't planning on coming, you should planning on pl- you should planning on coming. That's terrible grammar. I'm going to grammar patrol myself right now and correct it. Say no, wrong. If you were not planning to come, you should change that. Clear your schedule. Bring your kids out. It's really a great time. Water slides, water balloons, all kinds of water because it's Wet and Wild Sunday for the kids here at Liberty. If you'd like to be part of the program, you can call us at 702-647-4522 or email us at radio at experienceliberty.com. And of course, if you'd like to find me on Twitter, I am at the Friddle. So Passion of the Christ Part 2 is apparently coming out. It's not sub, uh, being subtitled The Return of the King yet. I mean, I just, you know, that would be my suggestion. But it is going to focus on the resurrection story, whereas the passion focused on the crucifixion. Passion 2 will be the resurrection. They're also remaking Ben-Hur. I'm really not sure how I feel about this. The one good thing about it is that apparently in the remake, there's going to be a lot more of a focus on Jesus and Jesus's part in the Ben-Hur original story. Uh, but really, I mean, I just don't know how you could have a better Ben-Hur than Charlton Heston. It's just classic. Which, and by the way, Focus on the Family has a version of the book, um, Ben-Hur. It's basically the original, but I believe it was edited somewhat just to make it a little more uh, family-friendly. But I love that book. You know, Charlton Heston is a great Ben-Hur, but the original, like the actual story, if you read the book, fantastic book. One of my favorite books. Here's a headline you don't get to read every day. Noah's Ark has crashed. (laughs) Not, Not kidding. This is from The Guardian. Noah's Ark takes on Norwegian Coast Guard and comes off worse. Well, well, well. A 70-meter-long representation of biblical ship hits moored patrol vessel while being towed into the Oslo Harbor. Norwegian officials say a wooden exhibition ship built as a representation of Noah's Ark has struck a Coast Guard vessel in Oslo Harbor, damaging both ships. Coast Guard spokesman uh, said the wooden ship was being towed into harbor on Friday morning when it ran into the Nornen, a patrol vessel moored at the quay. There's a whole lot of nautical terms right there that I don't even understand what they all mean, so I'm not going to try and explain them to you. But basically, what happened was Noah's Ark is coming in to be docked. There's this uh, 
I believe it's a Dutch gentleman that built this replica of Noah's Ark, and it's basically a floating museum. It was supposed to come to California. I'm not sure if it's already been here or if it's coming later this summer. This might change its plans a little bit because not every day that, you know, Noah's Ark crashes. Um, so it's it's pulling into harbor here, presumably to be on display for people in Norway. And on its way into the harbor, had a little incident with a Coast Guard patrol boat in which it crashed. You can... S- it's really actually pretty sad. Like, the pictures online, there's like a gaping hole in the side of it. And I'd seen pictures of this version of Noah's Ark before. It doesn't look as uh, as as kept up as it used to. Um, but, you know, maybe that's because it's been traveling around the world and getting lots of wear and tear. And then I started thinking about the actual Noah's Ark. You know, like the one with Noah, the real one. And thinking about you know, did did it hit anything before it crashed into Mount Ararat? I mean, did they take additional lumber for in case there were they had any problems? I don't know. Did can you imagine? Okay, for those of you who have never chopped or stacked wood like for a fireplace. It's a very long and arduous and not fun process, particularly in the wintertime. Now, sure, they didn't have a... Well, I don't believe they had snow falling while Noah was building the ark, but, you know, I don't know. Anyway, um, but they have to get wood for this thing to build it. I never really thought about acquiring the wood. Like, that alone would be an incredible feat, particularly considering that they're not having, you know, lathes and... And 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 what are those Circu- circular saw? Yeah, what are those circular saws called? Yeah, circulars. Duh. Anyhow, it's incredible just to think about Noah's Ark. And I was thinking about it because I just saw this headline about Noah's Ark crashing, and then I thought, huh, last time Noah's Ark crashed was in Mount Ararat, unless it crashed before that, but probably wouldn't have because anything that would have been floating probably wouldn't have been able to damage it. But I don't know. Like, I'm sure you had trees uprooted. Are they floating? Or are they getting lodged into the sides of mountains somewhere? I mean, seriously, the world's greatest catastrophe. Surely something is floating out there that you could potentially hit. I don't know. So it made me think about Noah's Ark in a way I'd never thought about it before. If you go look at the pictures, you might think about it differently, too. You can go visit another replica of Noah's Ark at the Creation Museum. Uh, Ken Ham's Creation Museum in uh, in Kentucky. It's right next to the Ohio border. If you're ever in Cincinnati, that is a great place to stop with your kiddos and get some good biblical history going on. But anyway, uh, let's go over a little bit of politics, and then we've got some crazy Friday stories for you. But first, here we go. A new poll finds Hillary Clinton beating Donald Trump 88% to 1%. 88 to 1. Now, that poll, by the way, was conducted in Mexico. So, you know, it's not exactly shocking. But the group that did this actually did a worldwide poll of various countries and the rest of the world is, uh, if given the opportunity, would choose Hillary over Trump big time. And I mean, it doesn't really matter what everyone else thinks because we're Americans and we do our own thing anyway. But I still found this poll very interesting. There's actually only two countries surveyed that chose Trump. Russia, and maybe because of Trump's praise of Putin in the past, who knows, and China. Maybe because of how much he does business with them or how many times he mentioned them his, mentions them in his speeches. Again, it's anyone's guess. I don't really know. But uh, so here's the numbers. Globally, 57% of the world 
would choose Hillary Clinton, with only 13% choosing Donald Trump. Wait. Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, France, Germany. Germany's actually one of the highest ones. 70% would go for Clinton. Uh, Hungary, India, Italy, Japan, Mexico. Mexico, I believe, is the highest. Yeah, Mexico's the highest, 88%, which is, you know, understandable if you're coming looking at this from, thing from their perspective. Then you've got Poland, South Africa, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Turkey, the UK, uh, the US even, and their poll was uh, 40% to Hillary, 32% for Trump, Colombia, Chile, Peru. All of them chose Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. How the world feels about how these individuals would interact with the world economy, 46% say Hillary Clinton would do a better job, only 14% think Donald Trump would do a better job for global peace and security. And I'm guessing, you know, they missed out on the whole Benghazi thing, but uh, really that only affected Americans badly. But the world thinks that Hillary Clinton would do a better job by 54% to 9%. And as far as if these, if Hillary and Trump care about issues that are important to them and their countries, 47% chose Hillary Clinton over just 12% to Mr. Trump. And that's from the Ispos Global Advisor Omnibus. I Look, whether you like Trump or hate Trump, the fact of the matter is the world is not generally viewing the United States in a good light recently. So this is not surprising. Most of the world is more liberal uh, than the United States, so they're going to choose uh, the more liberal candidate, hands down, and then when you have um, someone like Mr. Trump, who's very strong on national security, the border wall, and things of this nature, it's not shocking that Mexico or any of these other countries, especially those that are welcoming immigrants with open arms, are not in favor of his policies. So it doesn't really matter what they think, but I just found it incredibly interesting. And maybe it's just because I like political stuff, but I thought I would share that with you. Next up, here's a, in case you missed it on your local news story, we've got three kids from Ohio. Ohio. You know, the Buckeye State? They joined ISIS in May. Did you hear about this? Was this on your evening news, or were you only hearing about a gorilla? You know, because gorillas are important. Three American kids in Ohio that joined ISIS? You know, not so much. This is from PJ Media. NBC News reports yet another case of known wolf U.S. terrorists. Uh, Zakia Nasreen was a promising student growing up in a pleasant suburb of Columbus, Ohio, after arriving here with her family in 2000 from Bangladesh. She graduated high school as valedictorian. She later enrolled at Ohio State University in a pre-med program after marrying Jeffrey Kahn, who grew up in a Tony neighborhood in Silicon Valley. In May 2014, Zakia Jeffrey and Zakia's younger brother, Rasil Rahan, traveled to the capital city of the Islamic State, Raqqa, Syria. According to U.S. intelligence officials, Rasil was killed there. That's a story related in a report published by NBC News yesterday on documents obtained from an ISIS defector showing registration forms of would-be fighters looking to join the group. The registration forms included 15 Americans, two were Jeffrey and Rasil. The report raises several alarming issues. According to NBC News, Jeffrey and Russell were already known as extremists by the FBI after an informant's tips. Suspicions were further raised when Jeffrey and Zakia claimed to have lost their passports while in Kenya. Russell admitted to friends that he had been interviewed by the FBI. The report also claims that they were indeed on the terror watch list. 
This is a recurring problem that has been repeatedly identified at PJ Media as known wolf terrorism. Again and again, individuals who engage in terrorism or join terrorist groups are already known to law enforcement and national security agencies. So why are these individuals being allowed to slip into Syria and join ISIS? That's a great question. And this is just tragic. You know, you've got a med school student who is valedictorian in high school, graduates from Ohio State with honors, leaving the United States for Syria and ISIS. We are losing the battle when we are losing our young people. Whoever holds the young people holds the nation. Hitler didn't get many things right, but that one he did. And we've, we've got to turn that ship around or we are in more serious trouble than anyone knows. Alright, so if you've got kids listening right now, you might want to uh, turn me off here for the next four or five minutes because this next story is just kind of nasty. Alright? Um, a dozen people, apparently now, have married the ocean. Because, you know, some days you just wake up and think, my Prince Charming is the ocean. No, this is ridiculous. But this is from National Review. A uh, professor took students on an eco-sexual sextravaganza trip to marry and have sex with the ocean. The trip was co-led by a pornographic educator, by the way. A professor at Santa Monica College took a group of students on an eco-sexual sextravaganza trip earlier this month. That is literally how this thing was billed. By a college. During which trip, these students married the ocean and were encouraged to consummate that marriage. Why? Well, a professor named Amber Catherine told Campus Reform it was to get students to love the environment more through uh, ecocentric passion and even lust. Okay. The leaders of the trip were University of California Santa Cruz professor Elizabeth Stevens and pornographic sex educator Annie Sprinkle, both of whom are the effective leaders of the ecosexual movement. Yes, that's what uh, ecosexual movement. This is an actual movement, and um, San- the Santa Monica College actually has an ecosexual club. Its president, Diego Martinez, told the Corsair that this was actually his second marriage to the ocean. I'm not sure how you do that, but whatever. It was actually our second marriage, so it was kind of like renewing my vows for me, he said. The students were specifically instructed to think of this marriage as one involving sex and encouraged to consummate the marriage and make love to the water. (sighs) The attendees were handed plastic rings and gave their own personal vows to the sea, Before Sprinkle stated, with this ring, I thee wed and bestow upon the sea the treasures of my mind, heart, and hands, as well as our body and soul. At least one of the attendees suggested that the ocean is not the only part of nature that she thinks about through the lens of a romantic relationship. Back when I would hug trees in Santa Cruz, I would sort of ask the tree if it was okay if I hugged it, and I would feel their spirit or energy or something give a response back, and then proceed accordingly. Because consent is definitely important. I wish I was making this up. I really, really do, because this is just sick and perverted and and weird. Like, you're marrying the ocean and asking consent of trees. Okay, I understand that this is the generation that grew up with Pocahontas, but the tree is not alive. I mean, it is alive, but it doesn't have a spirit. Also, 
Lord of the Rings is is fiction. The trees do not come alive like that. They're not people. They don't have spirits. You cannot ask a tree for permission for anything. The tree cannot answer you. Same with the ocean. The ocean is something that you should respect. Not necessarily fear, but it is definitely something you should respect. But you you can't marry it. I mean, does anyone really believe that we aren't on a fast track down a very slippery slope right now? When we open the door for marriage outside of God's plan of one man and one woman for one lifetime, once we've opened that door, now there are no longer any boundaries, really. I mean, if all that matters is that you love someone or now something, then where are the limits? Apparently, it's now cool to marry the ocean. So if you can marry the ocean, I mean, what's next? Is it really that bad? If you know you want to marry an animal, if you can marry an ecosystem, apparently, what about, you know, your sister or your cousin? What if you wanted to have more than one spouse? I mean, call me crazy, but I'm telling you this is what's coming. We have redefined marriage, and when you redefine marriage, then it becomes a question of, what is the definition? Who gets to define marriage? If God's definition isn't the one that works, and it is, by the way, God's truths are not optional, but if we say, no, nope, we don't need that one, we're just going to make up our own, well then what is it? Who defines marriage if not God? Who defines morality if not God? And if it's culture, well then that is always going to change. And that is why we're seeing it change. Because what was once taboo and considered never even a possibility is now being accepted because culture says it's okay. And ultimately, where I believe this is disgustingly going to end up is with marriage to underage children. Because if the only thing that comes up defining marriage is love, and a 12-year-old wholeheartedly professes that they love a 40-year-old man, well, then what are you going to do about it? I mean, seriously, that's where we are headed with this. And liberals might say, well, that person's only 12 years old. She doesn't know what love is. Oh, really? Well, that's interesting. Because do you think she knows if she's a girl? Because leftists are the ones that are saying children shouldn't be assigned a gender at birth, and they shouldn't need mom or dad's permission to choose an alternate gender. And, oh, by the way, she doesn't even need their consent to get an abortion in some states. But she doesn't understand love. So that would never happen. It's only, you know, transgenderism and the consequences of abortion that she doesn't understand. Really. I mean, transgenderism that she does understand, abortion consequences, she understands those, but she doesn't get what love is. I mean, could it maybe be that 12-year-olds don't actually have a grasp on any of those issues? Could it be that perhaps God's way is best and if we would just do things His way, things would turn out better for everyone? Because when we eliminate moral absolutes, this is what happens. We end up with situational ethics. In this case, it's okay. In that case, it's not okay. And there's zero logical progression from situation A to situation B. Because God's way is the best way. It's the only way that works. That's what everything in life ultimately boils down to. Today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts Fundraising Opportunities. Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year-round and can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks. If your educational, religious, community, or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals, Krispy Kreme can help. 
Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use. You can visit KrispyKreme.com slash fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more. Our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. Stay tuned. You're listening to 101.1 FM in Las Vegas, KVXL. Streaming online at KVXL101.com as well. You can listen there 24-7. Eric Metaxas is coming up at the bottom of the hour. He's got the show about everything, and he's here to talk about his new book, If You Can Keep It. This is uh, Whom Shall I Fear from David Wesley. We'll be back in just a minute with Eric Metaxas. Don't go away. And welcome back. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. We're very blessed today to have Mr. Eric Metaxas with us. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing just swell. How are you? I'm I'm doing swell, too. That's a word I don't hear every day. So, uh, Eric, no. Yeah. Eric is one of my favorite uh, talk show hosts. He's got his show tagline, The Show About Everything, which I'll probably steal as soon as he's not looking. He's, uh, he's the author of uh, Bonhoeffer. And uh, for you that remember the movie Amazing Grace, it was based on a book which Eric Metaxas actually wrote. And if you pull out a dictionary, you can look up the word book. It looks good for your soul. You may have heard him here before on KVXL. He and John Stone Street record the Breakpoint program that we play from Focus on the Family. And he's got a new book. He's here to talk about it. The book is If You Can Keep It. So, welcome. That was my intro. Is there anything you'd like me to add? Actually, no. I'm a little confused. Did you say that this is that this is not live? This is we're taping. No, this is live. How can it be live if, if you're asking... <laughs> <laughs> You're serious? People are listening to us live in Las Vegas right now? Live in Las Vegas right now, yes. Unbelievable. What time is it there? Here it is, 7.30. Oh, wow. I got two hours on you. I'm, I'm, I'm tired, but I'm still more awake than I would be at 7.30. Well, listen, you, you could talk all day about stuff I've done because I never really do the same thing twice, so mm. the list seems really long. But uh, I'm mainly known as an author. Even though a lot of folks know me as a as a you know a radio host these days, I'm mainly known as a as an author. I've written a lot of books, and my newest book, this gets really serious, Crystal. It's kind of about saving America, and I'm not kidding. Oh. I think most people listening have a sense that we've lost our way. Now we've sure. lost our way not just because of where we are in this election. This is just one uh, manifestation of how we've lost our way, but we've lost our way fundamentally. What I mean by that, and this is this is the shock for me, this is why I wrote this book. By the way, the title of the book is If You Can Keep It. It comes out Tuesday, and I am going to be shameless in asking people to buy copies, to read it, to share it with their friends. Why? Because I, in the last few years, as an adult, discovered that I did not know the fundamentals of what it means to be an American, of what this country is, that I had not been taught this growing up in the public schools, watching in the media. This stuff is not reinforced. In fact, it's, uh, the, the, the fundamentals that the founders gave us are, are really not even believed anymore. And it dawned on me that if I don't know these things, Mm-hmm. How can I even be an American? I mean, if America is an idea, I need to know what is the idea. This is not an, we're not an ethnic group. Anybody from any ethnicity in the universe can come to America and buy into these ideas and say, I want to be an American. I want to become American. My parents came here from Europe. They wanted to become Americans. They are Americans today. And I think to myself that it's an idea 
for most of us, growing up in the last four years, we have not been taught these things. So in this book, it's kind of like a primer or a primer, depending on um, how you pronounce it. It's basically trying to give us the guts of who we are as a nation. And when I discovered all this stuff, I got so excited. You can tell from my voice. Yes. I just flipped out. I said, this is amazing stuff. Why wasn't I taught this stuff? Why aren't they teaching this in schools? And if you want to know why our nation is dying, and it is dying, it's because we don't know this stuff. And I said, I've got to put it in a book. I've got to talk about it wherever I can go. And I've got to bug people to read the book, to share the stuff that's in the book. I promise you, it's not that complicated. But most Americans today do not know this vitally important stuff so you can you can just tell that i'm a, a man on a mission you, you are a man on a mission and, and i mean i would buy it but i heard that i was going to get like a signed copy to preview or something it may have been lost yeah. in the mail i'm not really yeah. sure but you know either way i will i will read it and uh, definitely our audience should as well because well, you're, you're exactly right and you know yeah. i think um if you can keep it that's obviously a phrase uh, benjamin franklin was asked well by, most people wouldn't know that I, actually let, let me explain okay, that, you explain that's yes. another thing Good. why Go i didn't it. know that i didn't know that see look i went to yale university okay mm. i learned nothing at yale about the greatness of this nation about the christian roots of this nation about the the centrality of faith in the vision of the founders for america and when i say the founders i mean every single one of the founders right jefferson franklin the most secular quote-unquote of the founders all understood that faith is at the center of this nation that we can't govern ourselves without virtue which comes from faith this stuff is so basic and we don't know it we don't teach it and and so like i don't care if i sound crazy this is true it's all in the book it's simple as pie. It's so simple, and yet we've not taught it. We've not taught about the greatness of our heroes, George Washington. Uh, we just, you don't hear about Nathan Hale and Paul Revere unless you go to a classical Christian school or you're homeschooled. You're not getting this stuff. So, as I say, it's vitally important. Now, at the center of it is this title, If You Can Keep It. And this, this is kind of amazing that when they framed, they, they created the Constitution, 1787. They knew that they had to create a government that was stronger than the Articles of Confederation. Things had not been going so well between 1776 and 1787. They said, we need a stronger federal government, but not too strong. We want it as small and as weak as possible. We don't want a strong federal government. We don't want a monarchy. We want the people to govern themselves. So they create the Constitution, and Franklin comes out of the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, Independence Hall, still there, go visit it. And a woman, Mrs. Powell of Philadelphia, says to him, Dr. Franklin, what have you given us, a monarchy or a republic? And he said, famously, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. Now, that is a challenge to us from the lips of Benjamin Franklin, a challenge to us if you can keep it. He understood that unless the people know what their government is and know what their role is and know the stories of the revolution and the stories of the heroes, unless you buy into all of this stuff and unless you yourselves keep it, it will not be kept by itself. It will fall apart. Franklin knew it. All the founders knew it. They were nervous. I'll be honest. They were nervous mm -hmm. that this would last for you know 20 years and then go away. They said this is going to take an extraordinary thing, an, an unprecedented thing. The people are going to have to keep the republic. That's never been done in the history of the world. They're entrusting this to the people. We've kept it for over 200 years, but I submit to the listeners that we 
have not been keeping it for about 40 years. We have, have allowed it to atrophy. It's like a garden that has gone to seed. It's on the verge of, of being bulldozed. We are no longer keeping the republic. We, the people, are not governing ourselves. Effectively speaking, we're not. Uh, you have a Supreme Court that's legislating from the bench. Somehow we've allowed uh, we elected presidents who've nominated judges who do not do not understand the fundamentals of this. They have a different progressive view. That and a number of other things um, have really eroded our own ability to govern ourselves. And unless we get serious about this yesterday, we're in big trouble. So I'm not speaking hyperbolically. People can check me out and whatever if you just think I'm saying this. I, I wish I were, to be quite honest. I wish we had... 50 years to play around, but we don't. This is really it. Um, and I think that, you know, when you when you read the stories and, and the, the fundamentals in this book, it's hard not to get excited because mm -hmm. these are exciting, beautiful ideas. But they've not been taught to us. You're not getting them in films. You're not saying, I, I write about the film, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, one of the yeah. most beautiful films ever made, one of the most inspiring patriotic films ever made by Frank Capra, genius. That film, I mean, that should be shown to school kids. That should be shown in every high school in America. It's one of the most beautiful patriotic films. But we're no longer there as a culture. We're talking about the negative side of our leaders, the negative side of George Washington. We don't have an ability to see what the founders saw, and so we're at a, at a crucial pass. All right, so I don't want to ask you to give away the, the, the punchline or anything, but yeah. you know, your, your book is about the forgotten promise of American liberty and, and reclaiming right. that and keeping our republic. What can we do as individuals and as Christians to help reclaim that promise? How do we help right the ship? Well, it's, it's funny because, the, you know, you, you always feel as an author like you're a shill if your answer is buy the book and read the book. <laughs> but in a way, that's why I wrote the book. I said right. I want to put between the pages of this, uh, between the covers of this book, which is not a long book, uh, and I wrote it, you know, any, any any kid could read the book. I mean, this is not, you know, the, you have to have a Ph.D. This is a book for every American, right? But what I try to do is say, these are the things you need to know. If you know these things, it will change what you do. Now, everybody's going to do different things, but the point is that we've all, and when I say all, I mean, if you don't need to be a Christian. You don't need to be a conservative. This is for every American. The founders understood that we're going to have broad uh, views. We're not going to all think the same things, but these are the things that are non-negotiable. So I have the stories of, uh, the, of, of, of the miracles in our history. We've got to be able to sort of celebrate who we are. We've got to think back on George Washington and, and all know what happened at Valley Forge, what happened at the Battle of Long Island, this miracle of this fog descending so that the British were not able to crush the, uh, the Continental uh, Army, you know, in the cradle, basically, mm -hmm. to, to destroy it before it even was able to do anything. I mean, over and over and over, you, you are agog when you read these stories. You say, this is just amazing. And you become excited about America, about the idea of America. And so when you say, what, what should we do? We've got to know our history. So, mm -hmm. again, I put it in the book because this is the short, the super short version. I think it's very entertaining because the stories are amazing stories. But, the, 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 you know, the longer version is we've got to know our history inside and out. We've got to rejoice in what it means to be an American. And when you really know what it means to be an American, you can't help but rejoice. And I really think this has been tremendously obscured. And so, you know, as I said, I'm a man on a mission. I feel... Um, 
I want to start a movement. If we don't do this, listen, I mean, this is chilling. If we, you and I and those who are listening, if we do not do this, it is game over. It's up to mm-hmm. us. God is saying to us, you have a final chance. Now, you know, it doesn't need to go well. Uh, we, we can go into the dumper. This can be over. Uh, this is no hyperbole. That's, that is what is happening right now. But I believe God has given us a chance. And so I, if I have to sound the alarm and blow the trumpet, praise God. I mean, that's, that's to me, this nation has blessed the world. My parents' lives were changed because of this great nation. People around the world have been affected by this nation. And I'd say that at the heart of this nation is a fundamentally biblical view that we are blessed to be a blessing. We're not here mm-hmm. for ourselves. We're here for the whole world, to be a beacon of liberty. I think of the Statue of Liberty. It's on the cover of the book. I think of the shining city on a hill, the words of Jesus that were echoed by John Winthrop in 1630 when he was sailing to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, that we're supposed to be a shining city on a hill. Reagan said it. Kennedy said it. When we think of that idea, shining city on a hill, for for those beyond the city. So we're not here just for ourselves. We're here to be an example and and a source of hope for the whole world. Now, that's a heavy burden, and God has blessed us with the privilege of holding that uh, in our hands, you know, so I just feel I'm, I'm excited as I know these things. I'm, I'm excited. There's something so beautiful, but it's also a warning to us that when God gives you something, you better take it seriously. So I, I've only seen these things recently. Uh, so I can't pretend like, oh, I've known this for years. This is something that I feel a deep shame that most of my life I have not understood this myself. So I think that's all the more reason that I'm so you know, hopped up. Obviously, it's not the caffeine. I mean, this message <laughs> kind of has me crazy because I think this is this is serious. Who are we yeah. to hold this treasure? But God has entrusted us with this treasure of liberty, and and we we haven't been we haven't been keeping it. So so it's a challenge to every American, as far as I can see. That's so well said. I'm excited to to read the book. It's if you can keep it. Comes out on Tuesday. Available at uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever is your favorite bookstore you can get it by it read it and apply the truths found there to your life eric we're actually uh, we're starting to air your program on saturdays here tomorrow at 5 p.m you can now listen to uh, the Met- eric metaxas show here on kvxl so we're excited about that fantastic i love it yeah. oh man i hope and people can listen to it on podcast right if you just go to metaxastalk.com i mean i'm interviewing dick cavett and coulter just like the soup to nuts you know it's a really fun we have a lot of fun on the program yeah, it is. I, it's it's one of my it's one of my favorites. Um, I enjoy I enjoy listening to you. So I'm excited Thank we get you. to bring them Thank here you, to to Las Vegas. And uh, if you'd like yeah. to find Eric, where are you on Facebook and Twitter and your website? If you can spell Eric Metaxas, you can't uh, you can't lose me. <laughs> Eric Metaxas, M E T A X A S. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, and definitely, if you go to my website, it's just ericmetaxas.com. You can sign up. I send out a weekly newsletter with all the details of the radio program and the podcast and what I've been doing and traveling and pictures and stuff. So I try to keep people in the loop. Awesome. Well, you know, sometime I have to have you back so we can hear about your life story because uh, I think that would just be an amazing thing to hear for me personally. And if I want to hear it, I'm sure everyone else in the world does too. Thank right? you. I tell I tell a lot of it in my Miracles book and then on at my website, EricMetaxas.com, there's a video of how I came to faith made by the yeah. I Am Second people, yeah. one of the most great ministries out there. They make these short videos. But I would be delighted to do that, Crystal. Thank you for All asking. Right. Well, we look forward to, uh, to having you back soon. Thank you. I know you have a very busy day with your, uh, with your book coming. 
coming out and a busy schedule. Yes, I do. We, uh, yes. we appreciate you giving us some of your time. So uh, best of luck with the book if you can keep it. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM in Las Vegas. We're going to play from the inside out, and we will be back in just a minute. Don't go away. And that was Hillsong with From the Inside Out. We are wrapping things up for today. Remember, that was Eric Metaxas we just had on. His show will now be available for you to listen to here on KVXL at 5 p.m. on Friday, or I'm sorry, Saturday evenings. If you'd like to check that out, it's the show about everything with Eric Metaxas. You could tune in for that. I'm sure it would be a blessing. To your reminder, our missions conference is coming up June 22nd through 26th, so just a little over a week away. It'll be Wednesday night through Sunday. And uh, as promised, we're going to do a missionary story for our Fridays leading up to the Missions Conference. And by the way, a little tidbit for you parents out there. The book series that had perhaps the biggest impact on my life growing up as an elementary and middle school student were the Trailblazer books. I believe they've since gone out of print, but you can still get them uh, as PDFs and I think possibly for Kindle. Um at uh, trailblazerbooks.com and you can get uh, I believe you can get them all in that format for 99 cents each and what they are is they're historical fiction based on the lives of great Christians I most of them I think almost all of them are about uh, missionaries or great Christian leaders of the past um, like George Mueller David Livingston the Booths um, they're written by Dave and Nita Jackson, and they literally, they were my favorite books growing up, and they are educational, they're fun to read, they're really good. I actually have them in hard copy if you would like to borrow uh, one or two to read with your kids, see if you like them. I would be more than happy to let you borrow them, but they are literally, like I have kept them so that if someday I have a family, my kids will be required to read these books, and I guarantee they will enjoy them, and it won't you know be a hard requirement to fill, but they're, they're really good. For especially if you have kids that enjoy reading. Um, they're the Trailblazer books. If you are looking for good missionary stories, um, they take missionary stories and intertwine them into a fictional account of a young person, so it's so it's relatable to kids. And they're just they're exciting and they're fun, and I loved these books growing up. They're really well-written Trailblazer books. They're out of print uh, now, but you can still get them, I believe, in PDF and Kindle form at trailblazerbooks.com, or I'd be happy to let you borrow... Uh, one or two of mine if you would like to see if you enjoy them before investing in them as well. All right, so uh, in September, this is from ChristianityToday.com, in September of 1853, a little three-masted clipper ship slipped quietly out of Liverpool Harbor with Hudson Taylor, a gaunt and wild-eyed 21-year-old missionary aboard. He was headed for a country that was just coming into the Christian West consciousness. Only a few dozen missionaries were stationed there at the time. By the time Taylor died a half a century later, however, China was viewed as the most fertile and challenging of mission fields as thousands volunteered annually to serve there. Taylor was born to a Methodist couple who were fascinated with the Far East and prayed for their newborn this prayer, grant that he may work for you in China. Years later, a teenager, a teenage, then a teenager, Hudson experienced a spiritual birth during an intense time of prayer as he lay stretched, as he later put, before him with unspeakable awe and unspeakable joy. He spent the next years in frantic preparation, learning the rudiments of medicine, studying Mandarin, and immersing himself ever deeper into the Bible and prayer. His ship arrived in Shanghai, one of five treaty ports China had opened to foreigners following its first opium war with England. Almost immediately, Taylor made a radical decision, at least for Protestant missionaries of his day. He decided to dress in Chinese clothes and grow a pigtail, as Chinese men did. 
His fellow Protestants were either incredulous or critical. Taylor, for his part, was not happy with most missionaries he saw. He believed they were worldly and spent too much time with English businessmen and diplomats who needed their services as translators. Instead, Taylor wanted to take the Christian faith to the interior of China. So within months of arriving, and the native language still a challenge, Taylor, along with Joseph Edkins, set off for the interior, setting sail down the Hangpu River, distributing Chinese Bibles and tracts. When the Chinese Evangelization Society, which had sponsored Taylor, proved incapable of paying its missionaries in 1857, Taylor resigned and became an independent missionary, trusting God to meet his needs. The same year, he married Maria Dyer, daughter of missionaries stationed in China. He continued to pour himself into his work in his small church in Ningpao, grew to 21 members. But by 1861, he became pro- seriously ill, probably with hepatitis, and was forced to return to England to recover. In England, Taylor continued translating the Bible into Chinese, a work he'd begun in China, studied to become a midwife, and recorded more missionaries. Trouble that people in England seemed to have little interest in China, he wrote the book China, Its Spiritual Needs and Claims. In one passage, he scolded, Can all the Christians in England sit still with folded arms while these multitudes in China are perishing, perishing for lack of knowledge, for lack of that knowledge which England possesses so richly? Taylor became convinced that a special organization was needed to evangelize the interior of China, and he made plans to recruit 24 missionaries, two for each of the 11 unreached island provinces and two for Mongolia. It was a visionary plan that would have left veteran recruiters breathless. It would increase the number of China missionaries by 25%. Taylor himself was racked with doubt. He worried about sending men and women unprotected into the interior, but at the same time he despaired for the millions of Chinese who were dying without the help of the gospel. In 1865, he wrote in his diary, For two or three months intense conflict, I thought I should lose my mind over it. A friend invited him then... uh, to take a, a short vacation to Brighton, and his spirits were lifted there. His new mission, which he called the China Inland Mission, had a number of distinctive features, including this. Its missionaries would have no guaranteed salaries, nor could they appeal for funds. They would simply trust God to supply their needs. Furthermore, its missionaries would adopt Chinese dress and then press the gospel into the Chinese interior. Within a year of his breakthrough, Taylor, his wife, and four children, and 16 young missionaries sailed from London to join five others already in China working under Taylor's direction. Before the age of 30, a young man who had a vision for China, whose parents prayed for him to minister in China, transformed world missions. The story of Hudson Taylor is an amazing missionary story. There is a two-book uh, um, com- no, bibliography on his life that is excellent. It's just called Hudson Taylor. It is so extensive. And uh, I was going to bring one of them here with me today and read a part of it to you, but I actually you know, left it on my bookshelf, so that's not going to happen today. But you can uh, get those at the library, find a book about Hudson Taylor, read about how he transformed missions. He was the first one, the first missionary to go to a country and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to do what Paul did. I'm going to become all things to all people. If they're going to dress in, in Chinese wear and I'm an Englishman, I'm going to dress like them. I'm going to reach them. And he did. And he transformed missions. China, China missions in particular, is is completely revolutionized because of Hudson Taylor. China Inland Mission continues to operate today. And the fact that he did also what was unthinkable at the time in sending missionaries with no guaranteed salaries, and they were not allowed to appeal for funds. He and George Mueller are two 
just incredible individuals who served God without ever asking for funds and only asking God and trusting him to supply their needs. George Mueller is another great one. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll do a George Mueller story next week. But uh, you don't want to miss out on our missions conference. Hear more exciting mission stories and find out how you can be involved with spreading the gospel here in Las Vegas and around the world. You want to join us here at Liberty Baptist Church on June 22nd through 26th. You're listening to KVXL LP 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas. We're streaming online at KVXL101.com. Thank you for tuning in today. We'll be back Monday morning at 7 a.m. with congressional candidate Danny Tarkanian. You do not want to miss that. So be here. We're going to go out today to Thrive from Casting Crowns. Hope you have a great weekend, everyone, and we'll see you next week. God bless.